Hello. Hello, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hi, Beatrice. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. What have you been up to? Um, last week, last weekend, at the end of it, I finally went to see Itonia, which I wanted to see for oh, quite a while. I know you've been talking about that, and did did it live up to your hopes? It totally lived up to my hopes. Oh, um, good. And I sat in the front row. And Again, was, and how did it go for you this time? It went much better. It did what films should do, I feel, or maybe not all of them, but... You know, I was just totally gone for the one and a half hours. Or really? Yeah, I just didn't think about leaving the cinema, which I had thought about <laughs> previously with the other film. So that was good. Um, and it was a bit loud, but maybe that's my age. Um, but I, I, I did quite enjoy listening to Supertramp, I guess. Um, no, it was God, really... I don't really remember Supertramp. Well, that's... You, you're lucky. Um, okay. That that no. Uh, they don't sound like a group I'd be into. No, I don't. I don't think you would be. I think it's something you shouldn't really admit to liking. But I was. I think I might have even had have had the LP. Um, so yeah, no, I I really liked it. I mean, there are there are some problems if you want to call it that, because it's it's obviously not a documentary. Is is of course fictional. But it is about a real event, mm. and I've read some people, you know, complaining that it doesn't show what happened. But I, one of the things I really liked is that they really go out of the, their way to make people understand that there were and are different versions of the story. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I really like the way they do that, and I did wonder whether somehow you can do something like that in the museum because. If you, well, if how you, did they do it? Well, if you just watch the trailer, she, for instance, at some point she does something and then she turns to the camera and said, I never did that. <laughs> so I, I really like that. And then at some point, her and her husband, who was actually really called Jeff Galuli, um, they both, there's a sort of split screen and they both give an account of something that happened and it differs. Oh, interesting. And in the film, her mother is very abusive and the mother is also sort of mock interviewed, I guess. And she says a few times, you know, I never, I've, that's all wrong. I never did that, which apparently in real life is what she says. So, you know, I can, I think they make it very obvious that this is not necessarily what you actually see. Um, yes. What is actually happening on the screen is not necessarily what happened. Um, but I can see that people will will still be annoyed. And then the other thing is possibly um, that, that, that this particular um, community she comes from, which, you know, often in articles is called white trash, that it's not oh, so shown sympathetically, that she's not yeah. a rounded character, that she's just, that people, that she's used as a figure of fun. Mm. which is which is also true to some extent so mm. so there are it's not a perfect film by by no stretch of the imagination but it's 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 enjoyable i thought so maybe you shouldn't enjoy some of these things um and you know the i thought the, the clothes the clothes i thought were i mean the clothes in a way you don't 
notice them that much so I thought that was probably a good sign um, so I don't I didn't keep thinking oh no that's not right because um, what year is it well that that is a little bit odd it's sort of she was she was actually born in, in 1970 so in the yeah. film when she's 16 she wears something that looks very 70s uh, um it looks very much it looks quite like the deuce kind of thing oh really yes so that 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 is a little bit odd and then i i particularly so they wear a lot of what it wasn't called in germany carrot jeans i don't know what they were called oh like. yes what was yeah. what were they called like here i think you still get that with the full at the top and then taper yeah but yeah, i think no, now I think people it's the same. i think now people call them mum jeans or something but they weren't called that then. yes probably no what were they called here did people say carrot? Because mm, I always thought I that was a, I always thought that was a German thing to call them carrot. I think carrot is a thing, but they were probably called something else as well. But I can't remember. I'm sorry. So that's um, that's mm. what they wear a lot. Um, sort yes. of these type of jeans. Um, and at some point, I noticed that Galuli, um, he stands in the kitchen and he wears another one of these pairs of jeans. He wears a lot of jersey jersey polo necks as well underneath shirts which I can sort of vaguely remember but so at this at this point we're sort of in the early 90s and he wears these jeans which across the fly have a little white ribbon and I thought is this meant to be diesel but then were diesel a thing um, at that point and then I remembered I used to have these jeans and I had quite a few of them by a company called Close. And, oh, I don't know. Yeah, they were really big in Germany, and but they were big in the eighties. So I almost, when I thought about it, and I thought they're almost almost like ten years out in the film. But so, maybe these weren't people who. Maybe these were people who were wearing clothes for a long time, or maybe. Do you but, know what I mean? Maybe they they were and maybe they were fashionable at a different point there. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. But then I came from quite a small town, you know. I don't think I was sort of quite. I'm not sure how fashion forward I was. So, I don't know. I thought I'm that was. I'm sure you were at the forefront, mm, Beatrice. I'd like. Yeah, I'd like to think so, of course. But um... in my mind, you, you always are. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and so <laughs> are you. It's true. Well, my goodness. <laughs> but so then I sort of looked looked it up a bit, and the costume designer is Jennifer Johnson, who oh. I I hadn't seen any of the other films she worked on, um, and she actually says that his Giabord jeans were were very difficult to get. So oh. Marité et François Giabord, they owned this company called Clothes, and they also had a line called Marité et François Giabord. So they obviously were French, and um, I I I was. Think, thinking of, thinking about them earlier and I tried to look up what happened to them because in, in Germany and obviously in France they were really big um, and that they went bust or something happened at the sort of 10 years ago but you can buy their stuff again now um, ah. and that, that they're a really interesting company that apparently um, but that won't endear them to you apparently they invented stonewashed jeans oh my word yes mm-hmm so that is oh yeah well i suppose that's not as bad as inventing stonewash is like bearable it's if, if they'd invented acid wash yeah no they didn't that would really be mm. unforgivable and apparently they then realized how much water it uses so they oh, of course invented something else that made it use less water and now they've invented yet another thing to do with jeans but so jeans was always a big thing with them 
Um, and when I looked, there's a really good article about them, really long sort of history, which I'll, I'll yeah. send to you. But when I, when, I, when I read it, it turned out that Godard used to make ads for them. No. Really? I, I didn't. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, wow. and they are, they're very... Um, Did you find any? Yeah, they're part of this article. So, um, they're, they're, oh my goodness! I haven't watched them all yet, but one of them, you just see this face of a of a young woman, and then you see paintings from history like Velasquez and others, and yeah. she just keeps saying no, 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 and then you see Marité François Gibault written on the screen, and that's of course then yes, that's the thing <laughs> she, she wants. <laughs> Um, it's it's very much sort of the political, like the political films he does. Yes. Like, is it La Chinoise or whatever? I, yeah. So they're they're really funny. They're quite short, well, like ads. Um, yeah. But I, I I had never I'd never known that. Um, but I'm ple I'm sort of grateful for the film to make me remember well, remember the the company and the and the genes. And also, what an amazing you know six degrees of separation from I Tonya to Godard. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And I bet you're the only one who spotted that. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Um yeah, I do wonder I do wonder where else these sort of genes were were a thing. They were very distinctive because of this ribbon and it said set closed on it. So you would it's very right. yeah, very much a label thing. And then, I really can't think of them. And then the other thing, they were like carrot genes, but they were usually short and they were called pedal pushes and at the bottom of the jeans there was a line and a little scissors so it sort of indicated where if you wanted to cut them off and make them even shorter that's where you would go oh, funny. but I think you weren't really meant to cut them off that was sort of part part of the whole of the whole yeah I don't know design yeah um, and I yeah so what was that printed on yeah that was printed on um and I definitely had a black pair and I had a sort of washed denim one but I'm quite sure I had that sort of mid 80s not not in the not in the mid 90s um, and I do remember once seeing a sort of jean skirt in a in a second hand shop here in London and it was unfortunately one or two sizes too small and I uh, which was a Marité François Gibault item um, yeah and I still remember it it's another one for the list of the things that got away of things that got away mm. with, what was it? it was something purple I feel that got away yeah, what was Before. the other thing? I can't remember. Um, there's a Yamamoto jumper. We must stop jumper. writing it all down. Yeah, we must. A Yamamoto what? Yeah, Yamamoto jumper that they had oh at Liberty. Goodness. And that must have been early 90s. And I think about it occasionally. Yeah, it's weird. Mm. What about you? What have you been up to? Um, what have I been up to? I haven't, I'm sorry, I was so like taken up with the emotion of all these garments that you think about and pine for that I... You know, it was just lost in the moment. Um, but what I've been doing, well, I gave, an, uh, actually I wanted to talk to you about this because I, I gave a lecture to the final year students, to the BA um, History of Art students. And it was about Claire McCardle, mm. of course, because yeah. we love Claire. Yeah. And it, like, the, the sort of premise of this course is that each lecturer talks about one object or like one artwork and then talks about how you might interpret it using different theories. So I chose the McArdle monastic dress, you know, the really like simple, simple dress. It's like it's just hangs from the shoulders. There's a bias cut version that's completely plain. Mm. Um, and then there's also 
the a version um, with box pleats. Oh yeah. At front and back, and it's like nipped in with a belt, and it's like super simple and amazing from 1938. But then she goes on to make various versions of it over her career. So I was I was looking at that. So again, my deep love of Claire McArdle was coming out, but also just my wonderment at how clever she was at using really really simple details but which really elevated ready to wear and like how she really understood how to design for machines you know for machine made by having very few pattern pieces and you know simple fabrics and yeah just she's very clever yeah but then she is yes we can agree on that yes, I think. we definitely can we can and then so then what I used to think about it was two texts. One was the Valerie Seal. You know that um, article from the late 90s from Fashion Theory that's just her talking about how you look at yes. dress as material culture and she uses Jules Proun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. as, and I think it's just really useful, that article. Yes, super because useful. Because it's so useful because it, it goes through like how to look at something and it kind of makes you stop at the description phase, which I think students but also I also do this that you kind of immediately like you tend to kind of look at something and think oh I know what that is that's da 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 and you kind of don't look enough right. and it's like prompting you that you have to really look at what is this how is it made what is it made of who would have worn it how would it have been used all of those like really seem just too banal but they're so important to get you to look and look and look and look and then you start thinking, okay, well, what would I do next? I compare it to other Claire McArdle dresses to see how it fits into her work overall. And then I compare it to ready, wear, ready to wear in America. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of start really focused on the object and then go out incrementally. Mm. So I got them to look at that. And then the other text was from this book by um, Apadurai called The Social Life of Things. Which I think is so fascinating. Yeah, There's I've never read that. It's again one of those on my I'm, I'm going to send you the chapter that we read because oh, it's be so great. interesting. Yeah, it's by Igor Kopitov. And it's basically about the idea of how do you construct a biography of things? So, how do you think about the ways an object changes in meaning and value through its lifetime? Mm. So he's talking about things like how they become commodities and then they become decommoditized and everything. But it's really interesting, I think, in terms of the monastic because, you know, it was originally made for this this department store range called the Nada dress. So it was like a nothing dress, but the idea is, is it's like a really super chic nothing. But then the McArdle version was so easy to copy because it was so simply cut mm. that it nearly bankrupted Townley, who's her manufacturer. So it starts off as this, you know, sort of really, really sort of modern design that's both fashion and non-fashion simultaneously, if you see what I mean. Yes. Mm. Um, but then its value really decreases because everybody copies it. And so why do you buy the McArdle version, which the Townley version, which is more expensive, when you could buy a cheap knockoff? So then it kind of sleeps for a while and then when she comes back and in her career it becomes like a signature piece so it's repeated in again and again so it becomes associated with her and her personality 
And so there's like how it's presented in magazines, how it's presented in advertising, you know, how it was valued as something that signified McArdle. So it becomes, you know, having been sort of homogenized by being copied, it then becomes singular because yeah. it becomes specific to her. Mm. But then it also, there's like a lull where people aren't terribly interested in McArdle. So it doesn't, it's not sort of on display in museums particularly. But then if you think how even in the last like 20, 30 years, how many exhibitions, either the monastic itself or other similar designs of hers have been included in and it's been reinterpreted again and again by different curators. It's really fascinating because you start to think about how this is all the life of a garment, mm. you know, and how you can track it. You know, because it goes out of the sort of commercial market and into a museum, but then it might be deacquisitioned. So then it might go somewhere else and be worn again. Do you know what I mean? It's just so interesting to think about a garment from that perspective. I think it's also how um, you, like you already said, the sort of the the monetary value changes. Mm. I remember at some point with Ossie Clark, sort of some some early ones sort of came started to come at auction houses and they were relatively they weren't never really super pricey but they were you know you got quite a lot of could get a bit of money for them and then the total yeah. market was totally flattered or everyone just got yes. out of their stuff and and I, I wonder whether it was I, I don't know I guess there were never that many Claire McArdles to acquire I guess when well, they were the, around. The, I think they do I think they did get worn to death a lot of mm. them because they're so wearable and they're so adaptable um, but I think I mean, when I started working on American fashion, you know, quite a lot of people were like, oh, I'm glad you're doing this because we don't really want to. <laughs> um, and I've really seen how much more American sportswear is being considered in the last yeah. 15 years or so. But it's really interesting just, you know, like it was in, it was in, an, as I think, a, a sort of about five years ago, it was in something at FIT, at the Museum of FIT, in an exhibition on fakes and counterfeits. Oh, interesting. So that was kind of contextualizing it, interpreting it in terms of authorship and in terms of this sort of idea of, of like the value you attribute to the original and the copy. Mm. And it was in Sonnets. Do you remember Sonnets' lovely exhibition on New York fashion? At oh, the yeah. DNA? That's probably like 10 years ago mm. now. Um, I think when so you first told me about Claire McCardle, because I, I didn't know her, at mm. all that would have been probably also the 90s um yes i think the only thing i can remember there was was the valerie steel book about women designers yes I don't, I and don't... also there was caroline milbank oh Reynolds that's true i love that book on mm. new york fashion like that my copy is so battered because i go back for it again mm. and again um for all those it's got so many great designer biographies in it um but yeah, no, it's really grown. And so, yeah, Sonnet's exhibition associated it with city and mm. like a city identity. And there's like the Black in Fashion exhibition, which was a few years earlier at the V&A, where there wasn't a monastic, but there was a two-piece that really mimics the shape of the monastic. So putting it in terms of like a colour or an absence of colour. Mm. So it's just like, I don't know, I just think, I almost feel like, let's do an exhibition on the way things have been exhibited, you know, just like how has one garment been interpreted by lots of different people. Yeah, that's really interesting as well. 
also what you said earlier about people saying what's the point of buying hers if you can buy it properly yeah. it reminds me of when I was sort of looking into couture English couture in the mm. 60s why why it wasn't you know it was so popular anymore and there's a lot of talks in articles where people say well you can buy a really good you know good item of clothing for a tenth or twentieth of the price yes and then the funny thing of course is that they say so why would a husband buy his wife the more expensive oh my yeah the more expensive version because um, he loves her and appreciates quality yeah so that's um, why he should but i think that's that's interesting interesting as well well no it is i mean it is really you know even like the that the sort of old favorite um benjamin text on on the work of art yes the aura so so thinking about but thinking about that in terms of fashion is really fascinating and thinking about what it is about the aura of a particular designer label that means you need to have that one i mean obviously with some it's that you will get so much better quality fabric cut making and everything else so it's like completely obvious why you would have the original but with others it's less so mm. and so it's it's like it's it's like the sort of power of personality which i guess again is is coming to the fore in america from the sort of 30s on mm. with people like claire mccardle being promoted in relation to their personality or like a commoditized version of their personality mm. that's really um, interesting as well that's a sort of reminds me of mary quant i guess yes mm. yes exactly exactly mm. that you want you want yeah you want her aura to rub off on you a bit so mm. you have to have the real thing mm. the other thing the other thing i but when you were saying earlier about valerie Steele's article um i i often use that with students and also there is a is it brown or prune i never know brown i say brown okay like let's brown, say brown but i don't know yeah let's, let's decide say brown. it's brown um there is one where he writes about the teapot and yes, that's really. I good. love that. I think it's so mm. fascinating how he comes to the conclusion that the the lid of the teapot is like a breast, and um, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it dispenses warm, nourishing liquid. Um, which I I would you know I, once once you read it, you think, oh yeah, that's actually pretty obvious. But I, it, that particular teapot, obviously, that he looks at, which yes. is quite a sort of round, I think it's a baroque sort of eighty or eighteenth century teapot. Um, but there's one thing in there that I. I really like that he talks about, or maybe it's not in there, but it's something about thinking about whether something is dark or light or shiny or dull yes, or heavy yes. or light. And sometimes I look at garments and and my former colleague, Hilary Davidson, she always used to call certain objects silent, that they don't say anything. And occasionally that happens, it still happens to me that I look at something and I just don't know what, I just don't I sort of know what it is but I don't know what to say about it yes. and then but then when I start thinking about about these things whether it's just these basic things yeah. that often really really helps me because then I can't think about what it actually is or so much it, it just goes totally to the to to some sort of basic impression it makes yeah um, and it's sensory impact isn't it mm. it's like the sensory experience of the object Again, it's, yeah, I think it's just, it's so easy to miss that stage, but it's so vital to to not miss it and to remember to do it because you just get 
so much information just by looking really, really closely. And it, and it's also that thing of really seeing the evidence as the center of everything. Mm. That, 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 you know, you might write a really highly, highly theorized piece about this object, but it has to come out of what the object has shown you. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, even if it seems really left field, the direction you've gone, it's mm. come from something within the object itself. I think it's really interesting approaching it like that. Mm. Um, and I also got out for them at the end. Um, you know that the wonderful Pam Buckenton sent me a McArdle dress, which yes. is like the most treasured you know, history of dress possession. Um, it's that her mother was an was a really good model in the in the sort of mid century, mid twentieth century. Her name's Jessica Patton, and she worked as a fit model for McArdle. Mm. And so Pam Buckenton had this dress. I mean, Pam Pam is an amazing model and photographer as well, and her father was a photographer. So a really interesting family, and she's just you know my heroine because she sent me this dress to, to use teaching my students and it's so great to be able to you know talk about like signature mccardle moves within design and then show them a dress where you can see how there's a minimum of pattern pieces you can see how it's cut really well so you can have details that are really carefully distinguishing it you know it's got really good buttons you know it's just great yeah, so that was really nice. It's interesting also that it was felt easy to be copied or seems like it was easy to be copied because mm. all these normally really simple, often really simple things, you can't copy that well. Well, it's true. And I do wonder how well they were copied. Mm. You know, it it's like it may have had, you know, from a distance, the look of it. But, I mean, the original um, monastic, or at least, you know, some of the ones I've seen, like there's one in the Costume Institute at the Metropolitan Museum, that it's like so clever because she uses open weave wool. So you get like a texture and a pattern without having a pattern, I think mm. you see, um, just from the weave. And it's black and it's got little zips at the shoulder to, to fasten it, but it's also that, this amazing modern detail. And then it's got two box pleats either side, front and back, which are just lightly sewn down on the pleat at waist, so it's not a fixed waist. Mm. And you sort of think a cheap manufacturer wouldn't use such nice fabric and wouldn't think to use a textured fabric. You know, they wouldn't bother with zips. And yeah. they're nice, chunky black zips. You know, they look really nice and pleasingly industrial and, you know, modern. I think particularly our fabrics, that. Uh, yeah. That must have been so important. And I remember that the one you have is a really interesting colour as well. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's sort of a, it's like a sort of Claire McArdle does the new look. So it's much more fluid, but it has a full skirt and it sort of does have a fixed waist. But yeah, it's a really lovely, it's, it's, um, it's quite it's hard like the to Warpen, describe, isn't it? The it is hard to describe because it's like the warp and weft are two different colours and it's like sort of dark red and brown. Mm. But it's really beautiful. It's like a really deep shade when you when it catches the light. Mm. Um, and it's got dolman sleeves, and then yes, it's it sort of quite a plunging neckline with a, I think three buttons, uh, and and a fitted wide waistline, and then really lovely full 
skirt and of course deep pockets because yeah. Claire understood that we need to actually put things in our pockets. Yeah, it's or we a... just want to put our hands in and pose. It's such a particular particular not maybe not a particular type of woman, but it's yeah, it's definitely a yeah. That there it yeah it's it's not it is a really useful garment as well, I think. Yeah, it is. That's the thing. Mm. That's the thing with her things that that I think even now you look at them and you think, oh, you could wear this here, here, here. It's like you immediately, I mean, it's partly because I love her work, but it, you can immediately see how it works, Do you um, know, which I think you can't with a lot. Do you know whether anyone ever tried to revive it or remake it later on? Or Well, no, I, I think in the 70s, I must look it up again. I think in the 70s there was a fashion show where they remade things like the monastic, the bias cut version of it. Um, that's just plain, but I don't know that it ever really went anywhere. Mm. Um, and I suppose the thing is, she's just not that well known. I mean, she is well known in dress history world, but not. I don't think she's sort of an immediately recognisable name. Yeah, particularly maybe. beyond that, I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's so sad that she died so young. She died in nineteen fifty eight. And her friend who was at Parsons with her, Mildred Oric, I think carried on for a like a year, really short time after that, and then they closed. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think there's just like a point in the 70s where they, I think it's a particular department store or something, remakes certain key garments, including the monastic. Mm. But I guess by then you have Halston doing kind of upscale shishi McArdle and you have I think Donna Karen Calvin Klein. Donna Karen really, yeah. I mean if you if you think about it, the, the big American designers all look to her, but then so does Chia Prada, you know, so many designers mm. use McArdle. And sometimes it's it's completely straight. Again, because McArdle isn't so well known. Mm. I'll look at things and think, but that's exactly, <laughs> you know, because people don't necessarily realise. Mm. Yeah, it's sort yeah. of rare that, it's actually quite rare that I look at something from the past and think I would have liked to have had that, because usually it yeah. wouldn't, you know, I, I do quite like some bustly dresses, but it wouldn't really work for me at this particular no, point no, in exactly. time. No, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is just so um, timeless, I guess. Oh, yes, and it's like that's the word. I'm always, I'm always like when students say, I say, no, it's not timeless. It's this, this, but it's, it's really hard with McArdle because, because, because it's just, it's that, it's that kind of really brilliant design that you didn't know you needed it, but now mm. that it's designed, it can be worn forever. Mm. Um, so yes, we love Claire. Yes, I think that's probably a good note to end on. Yes. That's our message. Yeah. We okay. love Claire. We love Claire. Claire, yes. And and we're interested to learn about Tonya. Yeah, yeah. And her link to Goddard. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I ruined the simplicity of we love Claire, but never mind. That's okay. Okay. All right, I'll talk to you next talk week. Talk to you then. next week. Bye. Bye.